Alrighty, guys, it's Fonzie here on the 15th of February, the week uh, of our second trial, upcoming second trial. And uh, it's good to be back and in the thick of things with real footy getting played. We've just seen the All-Stars game and the Warriors' first trial. And uh, Brad and Brad and Will put out a pod on Monday that had a look at that first trial and they were pretty glowing in their review of that, which was which was awesome. And I wanted to follow that up with another pod uh, where we get into uh, some pretty hardcore footy chat, start talking about best 17, start talking about game model. And when I want to talk serious footy, a guy I, I listen to and I like talking to is Teets NRL. Teets, thanks for joining me, mate. How are you? It's your phone's good, mate. How are you? Fantastic, mate. Fantastic. The weather's been a bit better here than there. When we had a crack at recording this on Monday, we had to abandon it. And, you know, that wasn't the worst thing that happened in NZ on Monday. So I'm pleased to see you dry and well. Yeah, it's shocking, mate. Honestly, like I'm fortunate where I am. I haven't had it too bad, but obviously they're doing it tough a lot right along the east coast of New Zealand at the moment. So, um, yeah, I can't I can't say I'm, but um, uh, there's people worse off than me at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope everyone listening has come out the other side okay and uh mate it must have been good for you to get back to the footy on the weekend see some live top tier nrl uh not far from where you live yeah yeah mate oh that's that's one of the games i look forward to the most every year obviously i'm, I'm a moldy boy so um uh, it's a game that you know means a bit to me um it's a it's an interesting game in that, that there's no rivalry between really between you know the fan bases the cultures or even the players really except on the field obviously they go 100 percent but Outside of this, so it's not like a state of origin where you're talking smack between all your Samoa and your Tonga, where everyone's getting into the banter and stuff. It's just a real nice celebration of cultures and, and rugby league. And it was awesome to see all the stuff that the um, both teams did around the community um, during the week and the lead up to it. Uh, you know, in, in the regions, like there's a bit of a misconception that outside of Auckland, that league doesn't exist in New Zealand, which isn't the case. We produce a lot of players for the NRL in the regions, and but we don't often get a lot back as far as top-level footy or um, things to help grow the game. We don't, we don't get our stars in around the community because they're all based in Australia, obviously. So it's just nice to have them in the community and and engaging with the community and, and just you know giving league a real boost and and um, hopefully inspiring you know young players in the regions to give it a go, give it a crack in the in the future. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. And, and I'd say the same about the regions in Australia, to be honest. Um, regional New South Wales produces a heap of players and, you know, all the games, all the professional activities concentrated in Sydney, Brisbane um, and Newcastle. So it's a bit of a thing across the game, maybe in pro sports. But, I mean, without getting sort of too romantic about it, how you described the vibe at that game is kind of the ideal of how sport should be, isn't it? It's sort of you're going 100 but there's enormous amount of respect in the air. There's no negativity in the competitiveness of it. It's it's kind of a very unique vibe, isn't it? Yeah, that's more like a you'd say like a, a footy carnival atmosphere rather than you know as yep. the, because there's just nothing between the fan base as far as as um, you know disrespect or, or, or the banter and all that stuff. It's just all it's all love. So it's a really different feeling to to most games. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. And while we're talking about the game, anyone stand out for you? Um, I mean, there's plenty of out-and-out superstars there that would have stood out, but anything you noticed live that you might not 
see on TV that sort of came across with any of the players? Yeah, I've got to say, to see Nico Hines in person, he was unreal in, in that game. And um, you give a different appreciation for players when you can see all the off-ball stuff that you don't get to see on TV. You get to see them organising their edge. You get to see the work they do to get into position to, to run shape. And then guys like Cody and Latrell are just, you know, they're ultimate pros. They can adjust on the fly to, to anything. There was one play where... Um, Cody will set at first receiver on an edge with, with Latrell set to sweep behind an edge, you know, your stock standard edge play. And then um, Nico comes across from, from the other side and he slides straight into first receiver. Cody straight away, you know, with, with little communication, that he's just straight into sweeping and then Latrell's adjusting off that and it's just beautiful to watch actually, um, which is, you know, for for the for the Māori side of things, we're real clunky as far as shifts go and um, it's, just, it's just beautiful to watch, mate, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't watch that game all that closely, but it kind of went to script, right? With when a lot of the Maori spine and um, you know spine players pulled out, it ended up being you know the the middle did it the best it could to keep them in the game, but you always sort of had the feel that that indigenous spine was probably going to pull some points out at the back end and get them there. Yeah, just the. the, the, the class golf between the two respective back lines and um, there's only so much that the middles could do in that game. I always thought that yeah, as, as long as the indigenous they were, the, the indigenous forward pack was going to bend but as long as they didn't break there was just too much class in the, in the um, indigenous superstars at, at the back line there. Yeah. Yep. And we only had, I think we only had one warrior on show. Was it Pompey? Um, yeah, yeah. I think Adam was the only was he? Yeah, he, yeah, I think you're right there. He was the only warrior. I think he didn't. Um, it said the the edge the edge plays weren't yes yeah. look at all. So he wasn't getting um he didn't really get to put put his best foot forward. Um, but yeah, he's in a bit of a tough spot this week. I think it looks like he might be playing for a for, for a, a first grade spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll get well. Let's let's talk a little bit about the trial on the on the weekend, the Warriors trial, the Tigers game. Um, I sort of, I mean, I. Everyone always says it's only a trial, but, um, and I, I've sort of been reading. You know, I, I keep an eye on all the different content creators and journalists and stuff, and I feel like that it's only a trial, but then then people are like it's only a trial, but Viliami was so good he has to get a first grade spot, and it's only a trial, but Metcalf now has to be the seven and SJ's out. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of, uh, hey, guys, can we focus on the it's only a trial bit? You know what I mean? Like I I, I really, I don't want to, um, the conversation we're about to have about this game, I just want to say from my perspective, I read not much into like the um, performance in that game. You know, there were some encouraging things. We'll talk about that. It's good to get some vibe out. But, man, that, that means next to nothing that came to me in terms of um, selections and, um, capability of players and that sort of thing. I don't know what, what's your take on how we how we view that game. Oh, I'm exactly the same, mate. That Tigers team was terrible. It's a you know really young team, obviously, but it, not many first graders in there. But it was terrible. It was easily the worst of the trial teams that ran out on the weekend. Yeah, like I can't barely remember them winning a single tackle. Yeah, we were running downhill the whole game. It's just um, you can't take anything from that game. Like we, it was a cup level team and not even a good cup level team, if we're being honest. And um. We've already seen Metcalf and, and Tuopiki. We, we already knew that they could excel at that level, so it's it's there's, there's nothing really to take away. It was good to see the young guys you yep. know, um, do their thing, but um, yeah, nothing to take away as far as first-grade selection for me, really. 
Yeah, I mean, so if I zero in, like, there's been a lot of talk about how well our left edge went. Um, and so, you know, Montoya scored some tries. Uh, Viliami was doing his link role there at centre. Um, we had Metcalf and Temaru Martin um, working some sweet plays or some, you know, link plays on that left side. And it did look pretty good. But basically there you've got a near first grade ed- left edge playing a left-heavy game plan, like we went left, you know, all day, basically, um, against a cup, a poor-quality cup um, right edge from the Tigers. So, to me, it's absolutely no surprise all those players went well. I mean, it, it's good that they went well. If they didn't look good against that opposition, we've got a problem. So, yeah. I'm, ple- I'm pleased that they did. But, yeah, I do think that we're probably now – a lot of people are overselling what our left edge did and how good those players are off the back of that. If they're good, it's not because of that performance. You know what I mean? It's, it's We should look at a different body of work to say those players are good. Yeah, 100%. Like Marcelo, he's hard and soul. We've all come around to him as far as, as what he offers. But yeah, in reality, it was what, maybe the 16th or 17th best NRL winger giving the business to like the, you know, the 30th or 35th yeah. best winger in the country in Australia. So uh, there's nothing to take away from Yeah, okay. From that game. So you're a bit like me. So, I mean, let's let's focus on some of the positives. Um, so I think a lot of that that cup tier um, players that we played pleasantly surprised me. So I didn't know a lot about these guys. Um, you know, so um, I'm thinking here. Actually, before I get to that, actually, Tom Ale, I do, I did um, like some features of his performance. Like he should, he should have looked good in against that caliber of opposition, but. Big minutes, big meters, a lot of work. Um, and I liked the way he was moving into contact and positioning himself sort of into spaces and that sort of thing. I looked at him and went, I'm now pretty confident. I already was, but I feel like I can take away one thing from this. It's that he's ready for first grade, genuinely. I don't know. Did you have a opinion on that? Yeah, he was definitely uh, well, Metcalf, but he was definitely the standout forward for me, and and we need him to stand up there. Like, he's so crucial to us going any good this year. Um, yeah, yeah, he, he, we need him to take a leap at first grade, and, and um, you know, because besides AFB, what else have we got really as far as <laughs> genuine front rowers? Um, yeah, yeah, we, we need him. We got Bunty for thirty minutes, but anyway, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. And is it is it Sifakula who played uh, that back row spot who? Uh, grew into the game, I thought, pretty well. A few raps on him, and I notice he's been named this week as well as the only player who's not in top 30 who's been named to play. So he's obviously one who's impressed the the coaches, I think. Yeah, and extremely young. I think he's still 18. Uh, Is he? Yeah, I'm right. Sure he's still 18, maybe just turned 19, but he's really young. Wow. Um, and, yeah, it's interesting that he is the one that they, they rolled over to this week, so um, maybe he's playing for a spot on the 30. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's definitely impressive. He's got a, we've got a few spots to fill. Um, and obviously off the back of that game, uh, Talpiki has picked up a spot in the 30. Um, what, what do you think about that? Because I, I, I like him. I like I like him as a player to watch. Um, but I, if he's our number two fullback, first drop fullback, geez, a different player to chance. And, if, if, and so I'm a little bit... I'm wondering what you do if you uh, – he's more like a Reese Walsh-type player, Topic. He's, he's a seems to be more of a ball player. He's, he's going to be, just because of his size and age, he's going to struggle out of yardage. He's not going to be your best defensive player, you wouldn't think. Uh, maybe I'm underselling the guy. I just don't, haven't watched a lot of him. But 
um, yeah, it, it strikes me as a a very different player in your system compared to Charles Chance. Um, and so whether he's the right substitute for Chance, I don't know. But anyway, I, I don't know. Did you have a thought around that? Yeah, you're right. He, he is uh, very different to Chance. Um, one thing with Webby, like from his his conversations with with you and others, um, sounds like he's a bit more uh, less locked into game plans and more into adjusting game plans based on the cattle that he's got out on the field at any given time. So, um, okay, yeah. You know, even though he's a very different player and it wouldn't be ideal to, to switch your um, your model, especially with with the yardage and all that, as you say, he, he's not going to punch out 100 and, you know, 60, 170 on yardage like CNK would. But um, well, I think Webby's a pretty smart cookie as far as making adjustments as far as different types of players and, and adjusting to the cattle that he's got out. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I've got no doubt Webby's smart. I've, I've seen enough of Webby from talking to him and people who know him. He's definitely clever. I do wonder whether um, he's just like, well, <laughs> who else is fullback? You know what I mean? So we had to, we need another fullback in there. And he probably doesn't want, like, he, he could have put Metcalf as first drop fullback because I think Metcalf can play fullback. Um, but then if you get an injury in the halves, where are you? So he's got to have another another fullback option in the squad. So it makes sense. And, yeah, welcome aboard to him. I hope he kills it. Um, now, talking to Webby, um, I want to, like I said, I want to um, take advantage of the horsepower you've got around footy to try and nut out a best 17. And um, one thing that struck me from the conversation that me and the boys had with Webby was how he approached that. So um, we I asked him the question, how do you – how are you going to go and work out what your um, game model is? And obviously, once you have worked out your game model, then you can pick your best 17. And, you know, it's a bit of to and fro because what's my best 17 and what game model suits them? But I thought I'd frame this up by playing back 30 seconds of the conversation with Webby um, and then maybe we can answer the question that he said his coaching staff as best we can. So I'll just play that now, dude. Oh, sweet. Is that next one mine? Because you sent me the email, Will, and it, you told me it come from colours, but it's all black and white. Well, I, I, this is, uh, this is, this happens every weekend. So <laughs> Brad just can't follow the script, so don't worry, Brad. I'm terrible, I'm terrible without trying to, I'm analogue, not Oh, sorry, Brad, mate. I, I just dropped that in because I didn't quite cut it right, mate. But anyway, here's the question. I'll, I'll jump in, Brad. So, so can I ask you a question about the system? that you're going to implement or, or more ha- how you're going to go about choosing the system. So yeah, there's probably coaches who have an opinion about what the best system or style of play is for the modern NRL. And then you've got your own squad and you've got different strengths and weaknesses in your own squad. So at a certain point, you've got to choose the system based on a mix of what you think is the best system and what you think suits the squad that you've got. And then you've got to recruit into the squad to suit your system or you've got to tailor it. You know, How are you going about that thought process for this squad, even yep. in, early in pre-season? Yeah, so before we came up with one drill or, or one thing we wanted to do in the pre-season, we went away as coaches for three days and we, got, we sat in a room and we said, right, what... Let's, I just said to the boys, let's not even worry about your favourite drills, what you want to do. Let's just worry about what do you think are the four most important things that are going to win us in our real games every week. 
Yeah. And they couldn't be things that were opinionated. They had to be fact. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to dive into them because they're yeah. Because yeah. yeah. every every NRL team will be going will be going through the same thing. I'm sure. But those four things they had to be factual, meaning there was stats, evidence to provide that if you do those four things, you will never ever lose a game of the NRL. So then we work backwards and we said, okay, well, what's the best attacking style, defensive style to suit that outcome? What those things are. What's what's the best attacking defensive things that are going to be reliable um, to win those games, to, to, to achieve those four things? Then we went from that. Now that we know what those best things for attack and defence, now what are the best drills and how often do we need to practice them? And and do those drills and do that style, like you just said, does it suit the current squad we've got? Alrighty, so that's that's how Webby and the coaching staff approached pre-season and approached, you know, new coach, new club, starting again, new squad. What do we do now? Teach you and I don't have three days like they did to lock themselves in a room and work out what the four things are. And um, and uh, we don't have statisticians giving us statistical analysis of correlations and so on. So um, we've just jotted down a few thoughts on the bus in prep, for, in my case, and for you, for you on the way home in prep for this. But let's let's just let's just play around with it. All right. What what do you think are some of the things that Webby and the coaches would have come up with and said, these are the things that we're going to um, focus on and measure when we're designing the game model and therefore our best 17. What, so so on, a, on, a, on a macro level, on a big picture level, obviously you're not going to win many games without a, a top four defence. Um, so that's probably um, a, little, a little bigger picture than what he was asking for his assistance. Um, but it's a good place to start, yeah, right? So, yeah. so if we're talking about defence, like if we're trying to zero in, how would you? Because um, like, and and like we're just we're just shooting the breeze here, right? But um, it, obviously we've got to try and target in on a, a particular metric or measure that we think is important that's informing our thinking around this. So yeah, I looked uh, at it. Yeah, go, man. Yeah, if I had the the defensive portfolio, say you know, I was the guy in charge of the defense, obviously as you said, we don't have the stats that they have to um, uh, to, to back up what um, we're coming with. But I'd want to know, you know, one measure of defense um, or, or defensive, um, uh, the word I'll be looking for here. Um, well, just the, the ability to defend errors. Like, good teams can defend errors. I, I don't know what our stats are as far as conceding errors and, and conceding tries within, you know, two, three sets straight after that. Yep. But I'd be interested and I'd be pretty certain that we're definitely a higher percentage of, of um, points conceded after errors, after penalties, than good teams. Yeah. So that's that's one thing I'd knuckle down on as far as or, or zoom in if I had that defensive portfolio. How that relates to setting up a drill, like he asked his assistant coaches to come up yeah. with it. That's out of our. Yeah, um, let's not go there. Yeah, let's not go there. That that's that'd be one key for me is the ability to defend an error and just to um be comfortable with with you know defending your goal line, but be comfortable with uh, making errors. But we. Yeah. Fans of bad teams, we zoom in on like error rates and stuff, but it, there's no real correlation between errors 
and winning games. Yeah. The difference is that good teams will just defend theirs and poor teams can't. So that'd be one big area for me that I'd like us to to, to work on if I had the the defensive um, coaching oh, position. So let's let's call that defensive resilience. I think. Um, yeah. So the the ability to be resilient in defending errors. Um, so for me, for defence, the thing that came to mind was what I'd call defensive integrity. Um, so that's the where I'd be looking at line breaks conceded. Um, so if your if your line is holding, um, you know whether there's an individual missed tackle or you know, but but you're scrambling and mopping up, you've got guys cleaning up inside outside. Uh, I'm, I'm less because Webby said on our pod, missed tackles are misleading stat like Penrith. Um, often has relatively high missed tackles and it has the lowest points conceded. So um, I'll, I'll sort of be looking at defensive integrity. So um, line breaks, basically, how how many line breaks that we concede versus another. But yours is a good one too. And there's probably, I mean, there's probably 50 we could pick, right? But okay, so that's good. So that's that's some thoughts around defence. Um, what about with ball in hand and sort of yardage type metrics? Yeah, so we've been mentioning that... Um in that potty with you guys about the um, about the false economy with, with yardage as far as, you know, Dylan Edwards gets 20 metres of clear space, whereas, say, you know, Reese Walsh last year was getting the ball and man pretty much, you know, majority of sets. But, um, yeah, so so back five yardage important, but um, I, don't, I don't know how you'd measure it as, as far as taking that into account. But say if, you, if you're, um, you're starting a set from your own 20, you know, yeah. how far we're getting out versus, you know, that same thing last year. Um, yep. And where other teams are as far as, as getting out of that same position. Yep. Yep. Like, it's one of these things, because, like, I look at footy as um, a conveyor belt, if, you know, on a loop. So, like, it, you can't actually go, this bit here will win me the game, because that it's bit, not, it's all connected. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, your point there, right, so back five yardage, but you've got to then control for the fact that um, some teams are getting the ball, either the fullback's getting the ball on the 20 with 20 metres clear ahead of them and yeah. other teams are not. And so it sort of mucks up the the metric. So for this, I, I went for yardage. I went metres per carry. Um, and I understand that that is still going to be skewed a bit by you know, where you receive the ball, your transition. Um, but for me, I, I actually think metres per carry has a pretty high correlation. I did a little bit of number crunching last year on this, and um, if you were winning yardage, you by a significant margin, you nearly always won the game. But if you lost yardage by, by a material margin, but you won metres per carry, you could still jag a win and because that just meant you were doing more with the ball that you got. Um, so... Yeah, that'd be that'd be my one around yardage. I'm looking at meters per carry. I'm not looking at total set meters, like yeah. total meters or total run meters. I'd be going meters per carry. By the way, everyone, my kids are kicking off in the background, and my wife's trying to put them down to bed. So if you hear a bit of uh, bit of noise, apologies, but there's very little I can do about it that won't result in even more noise than you're getting now. Um, all right, so then that's yardage. Um, talked a bit about transition there. Do you think that's an important? Focus area, the important sort of area to be looking at. Yeah, it is just alluded to, mate. Everything's connected. Eh? Everything, everything matters. It's, it's good defense is going to feed into a good attack. Good attack is going to feed into a good defense, and obviously transitions the connection between the two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, another one that I came up with was just um, 
and again, it'd, it'd be in specific scenario of, of when we're starting defensive sets inside the opposition's 20. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a way that you could um, make sure you're not getting the the, um, the numbers skewed too much. Yep. But, you know, whatever the... Because um, we, we don't have the stats, so we don't know, you know, what a, a top-tier team that w- would concede as far as, say, first three tackles from um, that part of the field for... Um, as far as yardage conceded goes, but yeah. so what? One one thing that annoys me a lot is is uh, we just get you know pulled apart for their um, terrible defense. But anyone who's played a game in the league knows that if you if your edge is getting pulled apart, then generally there's something going wrong in the middle that yeah. started that. So what I'd want for the Warriors is first three tackles, you know, just to to win those first three tackles. Um, Win the collision, win the wrestle, win the contact. Win the collision, win the wrestle, win the contact. And just see improvements in that area so that we're not putting so much pressure on our edges. We're not giving the opposition the freedom where they're in, in you know, good ball areas where they can play with a bit more freedom and put their edges under pressure. Yeah. You know, if, they, if they're getting constantly asked questions, NRLD um, attack is so good. Yeah. Eventually, they're going to get you. So if they're not getting asked as many questions because you know their sets are dying at the 40 and they're having to kick from the 40 or 50, then that's going to save us a lot of points. It's going to save you know a lot of pressure on those edges. It's going to um, just make life a whole lot easier for the team in general. So that's that's another one that I'd look at. So you'd be looking there. We want to be starting our defensive sets with them with the opposition pinned inside their 20. Yeah. Right. That that's that's what it would would come down to. Yeah. And and the measure would be how far we're letting them out in those first three tackles compared yep. to, say, uh, better teams in that same scenario. But, yeah, so we don't have the stats, but I'd say we wouldn't measure up well in that area. Um, actually, going back to that trial on the weekend, there was one point there where the Tigers, uh, Tigers sorry, scored. And on the kickoff, they rolled 60 metres, and then um, the guy dropped it on the fourth tackle, I think. But that was a bit of a worry in the one time that we faced a little bit of pressure in that game. So, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's 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 really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think um, one other thought I had around this was uh, like possession. So Webby said possession's critical, right? But completions are not. So what's the difference between possession and completions? Well, at the end of the day, you you can have high possession rate because your completions are better than your position, but also the only other way is to earn repeat sets or. Yeah. Or, you know, because they're making errors. So it's got to be um, repeat sets. How do you get repeat sets? You've got to get good ball, you know, and you've got to be able to earn a repeat set off good ball, whether that's scoring points, gets you the ball back, or whether that's um, into the end goal. So it, it's, it's a classic example of how it's all joined up, right? I've got to get good ball. How do I get good ball? Well, I get it off the back of an error or I get it on the back of earning yardage dominance. Yep. And so I've got to earn yardage dominance, get me the good ball, get me the repeat sets, gets me the possession win. Then in defence, I've got to do the opposite of all those things to deny them possession, deny them good ball, deny them the opportunity. And and so um, that's where it comes to. Um, so, look, I mean, we could, we could keep kicking this around for ages, but um, I think um, we'd probably lose a big chunk of the audience who would be like, this is getting a bit... It's getting a bit um, esoteric. So so let's dive in, though, with that as a bit of a discussion, like framing discussion, right? Let's talk best 17 because those themes come up um, 
as soon as you start picking your team. Now, we've seen uh, Webby pick his team for the trial, and it looks like it's close to uh, his round one team. And so I might run through that quickly, actually, just so people out there know that. But I want to I want to have a conversation with you where we're not anchored to what Webby did, right? It's what, what we would do yep. um, based on that. So Webby has gone for this trial, which is likely close to first grade. He's gone uh, Chance at fullback, Dullin, uh, what then is Zelezniak on what I'm guessing is the right wing. The Warriors changed numbering around so much, I don't trust the numbering anymore, right? But he's going to be right, I think. And then um, Braden Viliami is numbered, listed as right centre. Pompey, left centre. Montoya, left winger. Temare Martin, 5'8", Johnson, halfback. Props, we've got Fanua Blake and Barnett. So we've answered that question, that Barnett's going to play some prop, according to Webby. Wade Egan, hooker. Jackson Ford, bit of a bolter into the second row. On... Again, often numbering, you'd say that's the right edge, second row. And Marata Nikore on the left edge, second row, off the numbering, if that's reliable. Tohu at lock. Um, then the bench is Dylan Walker, 14, Bunty and Ale as bench props. Joshi Curran as a bench back rower. And then the whole rest of the squad is reserves and, you know, it's going to chop and change. But I think this game, first 50, 60 minutes is probably going to be close to the starting 17 that will play, and then they'll bring on all the other guys to get some minutes into their legs and have a look at a couple of things. So that's what Webby has done so far. Um, let's go, Teets. Let's start. How, how do you look at this? Let's start with fullback because your choice of fullback determines a lot of other things in this squad. Yeah, I'd, I'd be chance. It wouldn't even be a question for me. So in, in terms of that, a lot of people have said, um, including um, including me in my own head at times, right, um, okay, Chance can't ball play, right? He, he's not a ball player. The modern game, you need a fullback who can run a sweet play left and right. It frees up your halves. It takes pressure off them. Um, and we have one of those kind of players. Like Metcalf is that guy, and he can play fullback. So um, why, why isn't Metcalf your fullback? I think Metcalf will, will will take the one of the half spots by the end of the season, and yep. that's what I, I want him to play. I'd rather him in the halves. Um, we're talking about with CNK not being a ball player, that that's 100% true. Um, but we get caught up a bit in uh, player archetypes. I think in the NRL, there's there's always more than one way to skin a cat. There's always um, different ways to do things or even just playing out the back of a sweeps there's, there's different ways to do that as well like the way that Brett Stewart and Billy Slater hit onto the ball was way different to the way Latrell kind of meanders onto it and just tips on so there's always different ways to do things and you don't even need the fullback to be out the back of that sweep um play all the time yeah so, you know like Chansey was in a grand final in 2019 and was a couple of um BJ Leilua brain fades away from being a grand final winning fullback and the attack was all based around Josh Hodgson. Like they weren't running fancy sweep uh, sweep plays. It was you know yep. Hodgson bringing forwards onto the ball around the around the ruck end and Jack White and just being superstar, just you know stepping off his left foot or, or just going straight over the top of people. It, it wasn't through fancy block plays, uh, playing block to block and all this stuff. Um, and then obviously the last two years, Dylan Edwards, there's a there's a bit of revisionism saying that he, he's a great ball player, but he isn't. 
he yeah. very rarely throws the last, and, and he used to be a half side. I'm not too sure what's the. I'm sure he's got it in his game, but it, we haven't seen a lot of it. He very rarely throws the last pass. Um, but he's got strengths. His strengths are he's you know indefatigable. He fit as he's you know the the you know, you know we'll be alluded to the fact that he gets 20 meters of space. But he, he's a great meter eater. Um, and you know, probably most importantly, he's a great defensive fullback. Right? So that's two things that Chances offers is, is he's an effort player, great on yardage. He's always going to be there to take carry. Um, yep. He'll always be there and support through the middle of the field. Um, and you know, he can organise the defence. We know that he can organise the defence as well. So he can't ball play, but there's ways around that. You know. Um, the classic Dylan Edwards play at the moment well, doesn't even involve him. It's it's Cleary and Luai running shape on the left edge with Dylan Edwards yep. um, out at first receiver on the right. And that's the same thing that we can do with CNK. So SJ and Tamari, those two can... And we saw a bit of it with Metcalf and Tamari on the weekend, where, where, where it was those two running the shape on the edge um, with Tane Tuopiki, um, you know, stationed on the right. So the ball playing is definitely not his game, but... He's got strengths that we, you know, that we can use, and that I think we be gonna um, is going to use. Well, let me let me just take take us all back to the conversation we just had about the four things that would win games. How many have involved running sweet plays? None of them. How many have involved running block plays? Right, none of them. But how many were talk about those first three plays out of yardage? How many of them were talk about defensive integrity, defensive resilience? Right, that's that's what it was all about when we were having that conversation. So you ask yourself, which fullback's going to do those things? It's CNK, isn't it? I yeah, if, if you're pinned on your own goal line with a defence for it, you know, set to smash you, there's not many fullbacks I'd rather take that carry than CNK. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I agree. I think, um, and as I sort of said before, um, Tua Piki is not that guy. So if Chance goes down and he's our fullback, then, you know, we're going to, suffer in those areas i think but you know i mean we can't have we can't have at this stage of the club's development we can't have you know a ready-made alternative to um cnk but yeah okay so now i'm with you and i think the logic's right he's the he's the right fullback to pick for this team at the moment given what we think is going to win us games so then we go to wingers what do you got who's your starting wingers yeah same too um you know marcelo you know um and and Dale, they're you know, they're a long way off the top tier wingers, um, but they're hard and soul players. They're going to give you 100 every week, and you know, they're not, they don't, they're never going to shirk a tough carry either. And, you know, yep. the Warriors, I don't think we're going to be a great team this year. I think we'll be an improved team, but we're going to be doing a lot of carrying out of our own end, and those two will always take a carry, and it'll always be, you know, a tough carry. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there's not, a, I mean, so I suppose the question there would be, why are we not picking Ed Cossey? He's probably someone who is in a lot of people's teams. For me, the reason I'm not picking him is I'm concerned about his um, error rate and how reliable he's going to be. Um, and also, I just haven't I haven't seen enough of him to like. I, I just I'm not convinced. I, I know he can do yardage, and that fits the game model and themes we were talking about. He's going to be good in yardage and so on. But I just haven't. I don't think he's show me enough in the other dimensions of winger play um, and reliability and so on to make me want to pick him at this point. But, you know, I mean, he's he's the first drop winger for me. If either of those guys are injured, because he's up, is where I'm at. 
Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. It'd definitely be next up for me, but um, I'll take the other two over him at this point. Okay, so now now we get to some hard stuff, centres, um, because there's a lot of players in our squad who can play centre, but there's not a lot of good out-and-out centres in our squad, right? So you've got to choose your poison here a bit. Which way are you going to go? Yeah, Vale would be first choice. Like yep. he, we've got to persevere with him. He's obviously um, talented. Uh, talent doesn't isn't, isn't enough on its own, but um, as long as we can get the work into him and the reps into him, I'm pretty confident that he'll be a um, a really good NRL centre for for a long time. Um, and then on the uh, other side, um, well, the the options aren't great as you said. Um, we've got a 30 year old journeyman. Um, yep. You know, he's been playing rugby the last couple of years. Um, we've got Pompey. He's kind of getting near that age where you where you are what you are, um, as far as outside backs go. Um, and who else have we got? Rocco's the other one, eh? Rocco. But he, is he injured at the moment? Yeah, he's got an injury, but it's it's not supposed to keep him out of round one. Uh, but he, he hasn't been able to trial. So at the moment, we don't know where he sits in the coach's plans because he hasn't been available, I think, for selection. Right, yeah, so I'd flip a coin, mate. Honestly, I'd, neither of the, I don't think either of them much better than the other as far as Pompey and, and Villiami goes. Um, yeah. You know, neither is going to be a top-level NRL centre, I don't think, at this point. Um, I'm still hopeful that Rocco, Rocco's got... Yeah. He, he's going to grow into something. Um, but, yeah, well, interesting to see how that goes. So, so he's, he's figured out cup level. At this point, on like I reckon Rocco Berry's figured out a couple level. Yep. He needs a breakout game or, or just something to get the confidence up. Um, he's definitely got skills, but he's pretty solid on defense as well, in my opinion. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's just making that transition from good cup player to to decent NRL player. Yeah, he's copped a lot of crap, um, Berry, and I think some of it's fair, but some of it's not. But a lot of it. I think a lot of our players came up a bit early because of COVID and, sure, sure. and weren't getting enough reps in cup. And, you know, like it was – so, yeah, I, th- I do think that the fan base has probably forgotten about Barry or written him off a bit too early or too much. I think he's, he's thereabouts. So, so let me tell you what I do and you tell me um, why I'm wrong, right? So I, I play Vilea left centre. Um, so last week he played right but I play him left and I play Pompey right centre. And my thinking is that Pompey's defensively not a bad centre. Um, I, I'd probably say he's better on the, that side of the ball than he is on attack. Um, and if we're going to be a bit left heavy this year, and it looked like that in the trial, but most teams are a bit left heavy, as in they go left more than they go right because it's the way people pass and stuff, then... I'm I'm happy to just burn a centre spot with someone who's going to make his tackles um, and offer me a little bit out of yardage. And then Vailea would be my left centre unless someone tells me because I haven't looked into it enough that he just can't play left because of the way he carries or he's, you know, like his um, cup form or cup preference. But I'd do that because I think Vailea could be quite damaging in good ball if we're, if we're going to be left heavy. Um, and I just want to call out one thing that you might say back to me, which is that when SJ plays, we might not be so left heavy because he's on the right side, right? So that, it might flip around. But so that's where I'm at at the moment. What do you think about that? Where am I wrong? Or 
Yeah, I like the thinking, but um, yeah, with Tamari out on the left side and with, with them, I think they'll be playing a lot more together this year with SJ. I think he'll be playing, um, he'll step in the first receiver on, on, the, on the left side a lot more with, with um, Tamari running the sweep there. So I actually think they'll get plenty of ball on the left edge this year. Um, yep. Then on the defensive side of things, if he's lined up inside Montoya and outside Tamari and um, what well, sounds of it near Kore, Yes, they're better, they're better defensive players than, than the guys on the right hand side, so um, that'll help them out as well as far as the, the the defensive side of the game, which is obviously his weakness. Yeah, well, I was going to go there when we get to back rows because yeah, I play Nukore left edge back row, so I like the idea of um, having uh, Valea learning outside Nukore, and yeah, I like you know Pompey Pompey. See, like because Viliami. Um, there's a body of work that goes back 10 years that says he's marginal or not a first grader. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and he plays one good game in the trial against the Tigers when we were left heavy and they were hopeless. And suddenly people are saying, oh, he's, he's, he's got that spot. I just not, I don't get it. So. Yeah. Well, this, yeah. If, if to, to anyone just basing the, the Viliami selection off his last, you know, off, off the trial. Go have a look at his last NRL game for the Dragons. Just pull up the highlights package and see how many tries are coming leaking down the edge. Um, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, he's solid pro, but yeah, good for, good first drop. Great to have him as first drop. Like so, where, where I got to is I, I go um, Valia left, Pompey right, and I've got Berry as my um, first drop, right center and. Viliami as my first drop left centre is is my team as it stands. Um, but I'm interested in anyone who um, has watched more Cup than me who comes back to me and says Valea doesn't do left. You know what I mean? Like it, it might be he's a right side player. I, I don't know enough to say that for sure. But that's how I do it. And I I like the idea of him punching holes on that left side off Temare. You know, I think that would be pretty good. Um, okay, so that's back five. Halves speak for themselves. Um, probably a good point, I assume, right, Temare and SJ? Yeah. yeah. Can you get Metcalf into the team somewhere? Are you going to give him a bench spot or something while we're talking about halves? Yeah, it's, it's hard, eh, with, with, with Walker being locked in for a spot and then, you know, does Jazz fit in somewhere, if at all, when he comes back? Um, yeah, I, we, we all want I want him in there somewhere, but I just can't work it out for, for this, this first round, so... Um, yeah, let's just sit a New South Wales Cup for uh, the first couple of weeks, but a matter of time, I think, before he um, he takes yeah, a jersey somewhere. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I think it's the best thing for him as well to just get him um, playing with Volkman in um, Cup because they're the future, those two. You know, so get them playing together. And I, I think if either Sean or Temara go down, Metcalf's next up. He's in, in either six or seven, you know, so the odds are he's going to play, well, SJ probably averages somewhere between five and eight games a year out. Um, Temare probably isn't going to play 25 straight, so he's probably going to get half, 10, 12 games in first grade if he's filling both roles. Yeah. You've seen more of Metcalf than I have. I've only seen uh, yeah. 80-minute cup games, and they were both at halfback, um, and then obviously the trial game on the weekend. Um, so the knock on him appears to be the, the the kicking game. Is that something that you've had issue with? So um, I, I've seen him live twice down at Newtown because Newtown's the closest cut. Or is probably my cup team. 
um, here in New South Wales, and he played for them. So I've seen him live a couple of times. I've watched him um, a few times. And uh, is it was it Lockie Miller was playing um, for Newtown as well, and he definitely um, he he definitely wasn't. And Newtown's had a few good sevens actually um, through that club, and he definitely was not the the primary kicker for Newtown yeah. when he played. So he's definitely not someone who. Um, even a cup level is your go-to kicker. Yeah. Um, what he was is he was um, very – you could see him organising back lines. You could see him telling centres where to be, telling wingers where to be, telling um, edge back rowers where to be. You're right, so he's he's a talker. He's, a, he's setting up very much like a half. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd probably look at him as um, – but, you know, just because someone doesn't have that role in the team doesn't mean they can't kick. Like Wade Egan, for example – Never kicks. People don't think of him as having a kicking game. I got mates who went and watched him at Penrith through the grades for um, a number of years, and he had one of the best kicking games in Flegg. You know, like he was. Yeah. So it, it's not to say it's not there, but I don't think it's an area that he's um, put on showing cup. So yes, I think it's probably a weakness at first grade um, level, and his defence is going to be a problem because at cup they were playing him. Indeed, they were playing him too, like they were playing him like oh, defending. Yeah. Defending at centre, they were hiding in one one wider. So they obviously were a bit like you wouldn't do that. You normally play your half at three. So they're they're obviously worried. So I think there's a few things there that you know he, he might benefit from some time in cup. But there's there's a lot to like, and I think more than anything, he's a footy head. He's one of those players when they're on the field, like you're talking about Nico Hines, right? He's, I'm not saying he's like Nico Hines, but he's one of those players on the field where when you see him live, you can see a lot of what he's doing off the ball. Yeah. Do you, um, as far as best position, do you seem prefer him in the half? Or? Uh, so a lot of people think he's a one. I'd like to say he's not a seven. He's, he's a six or a one, right? To me, that's what it comes down to. And I'd probably lean on the side of he's a six, would, would be me. I'd rather have him um, – I'd probably rather have him doing like a the Tem Maru Martin role. Like if you've got an on-the-ball seven and then – You've got Metcalf as a six, so your six is playing wider. I think he'd be perfect for that. Um, if you don't have an on-the-ball seven and you're playing sided, then maybe you get more out of him at fullback, actually. You know what I mean? But if, if you've got an on-the-ball seven, he'd be a perfect six to complement that, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so that – but but I can't find a spot for him at the moment. Just got to wait till the half goes down and see what he can do. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the same, mate. His time will come. Yeah. From from the small sample size that I've seen, I'm pretty confident he'll take it um, as opportunity once it does come. Um, so, yeah, but he'll just have to bide his time. And put on a little bit of weight and do a heap of tackling practice, you know, so he can defend in the front line. You know, I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. Um, like, he, he's a guy who, if he gets his D sorted, will have a first-grade job for 10 years, no problem. You know what I mean? Like, if if he's just if – he, if his D is passable – He's got enough going on that he'll be fine. Um, okay, so now we get to the really hard bit, the pack. So who's your starting props? Forget about what Webby's done. What would you do? Oh, no, I'm, I'm happy with what he's done. As far as what we've yeah. got, oh, I'm pretty happy with what he's done. So Barnett, you, you think, is a a player who can do that prop role? Yeah, I think he actually complement AFB really well yeah. as far as um, – Slightly different skill set. Obviously, he's, he's not going to punch, you know, a hole through the line the way AFB will. But he's he, 
takes plenty of carries, makes plenty of meters, um, and he's got a lot of graft in him as well. So yep. I was talking before about um, uh, our middle third defense. I think he can definitely help tighten that up. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I was I was listening to some random I don't know it was a podcast or a show right, and there was a platform diver talking about jumping from real heights or a cliff diver, and they were like, you've got to you can jump from almost any height as long as you break the water first. So like you chuck a rock down, you chuck something down, you you use your hands to break it, and then then you can jump in and not die, like not hurt yourself. And I was looking at that, and as my brain does, everything gets related back to footy. And I was like, that's kind of like your, your first carry prop and your second carry prop. You know what I mean? Like an, yeah. AFB, an AFB, like, breaks the water, breaks the line, bends it, gets it moving, and then a guy like Barnett is a bit smaller, a bit quicker. Like, there'll be, a, there'll be, a, there'll be some space to run it, you know? Like, um, so you've got your prop who you just need the big body, the big carry to run off a set start. And then the next guy is going to find a chink. He's going to find something. So he doesn't have to rely so much on weight and momentum. He can use a bit more footwork and so on. So I started thinking, you know, this idea of um, big prop, small prop, and or let's call it um, traditional prop and more like dynamic prop. Yeah, so what do you think about that idea of big prop, smaller prop, one who's going to bend the line from a standing start and another who's then going to exploit a chink, use some late footwork, use some um, angles in the run. So d- does that model work for you as an idea? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're, we're, um, we're seeing a move away from the massive props in a, in a few teams. Like Parramatta's still rolling out two huge bookends with, with Junior and um, RCG. But yep. there are teams, you know, rolling away – rolling out the 105 keg prop, the, you know, instead of the massive 120 kg, you know, prop two of them. But, um, yeah, but there's something to it. Um, you know, we saw in the World Cup semi-final, Australia rolled out a yeah. smaller pack. So, yeah, it's complementary skill sets, I think. I think it'll, um, uh, what Barnett brings to the game will actually you know, has has for me, especially on the defensive side of the ball, more so. Like with him and Torhu in the middle, I think we should be much stronger in the middle defensively this year than we than we were last year. Especially with the lateral movement and stuff. Lodge punched out a lot of meters in those games that he played, but not the best defensive um, yeah. player in my opinion, as far as um, putting himself in front of the right people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. No. Like rightly or wrongly, that's how I'm. That's how I'm looking at the front row this year. I'm looking at big prop, small prop. I'm looking at the guy who's going to move me off a standing start versus the guy who's going to roll momentum through. Um, so, f- and on that model, I like AFB and Barnett. I think that's a good fit. And I also like Bunty and Ale, um, where Bunty's that bigger body. You know, carry one off a tap. <laughs> it's Bunty, right? And hopefully he's bent the line and carried two Zale and there's there's just a couple of little spaces he can get in behind Iraq or in behind, you know, A and B, some in there somewhere where he can um get on fall on his front and get that quicker play the ball and then off we go. I, I, I like that. So um my prop rotation is AFB, Barnett, um, Bunty Ale, but I've also got Tohu doing the Sinner prop, which we'll come to when we talk bench. But yeah, so while we're talking props, I assume you got the same two benchies, same two. 
Yep, same rotation. You know, so we don't need you know massive minutes out of Ali and, and, and Bunty. We only need them to hold it up what half an hour each. Yeah. You know, AFB is going to play 55 plus. Um, yep. Barnett's easily going to play 60 plus. So, you know, we need impactful minutes from them. Um, but we don't need. All we need to do is just you know hold up their minutes uh, until the starters get back on. So I'm, yep. I'm fine with those guys. So I'm, I'm actually going to play – I'm only going to give Barnett one stint at prop, but when we get into – which is, sounds like slightly different to you, but when we get to bench rotation, we'll sort of tease that out. Um, so you've got, obviously got Egan at nine. Uh, what's your back row, and, and have you thought about which side you'd put your edge back rowers? Yeah, well, when I initially um, you know, preparing for the court, I hadn't seen the team list for the trial. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting that Ford got the the nod um, for the trial. Yeah, I'd assume Curran starts though. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy with Curran and SJ to keep working on that combination. On the I saw right. Glimpses yep. of it last year of what it could be. Uh, yep. It wasn't as potent as I thought it could or should be. Um, there was a lot of combinations that didn't quite work the way they should have. Same with SJ and Reese Walsh as well. You know, for whatever reason, the things didn't happen the way that they should have. But you know, I'm confident in those guys being able to work it to a level where it gets better and um, yeah, at least there's some kind of continuity there already. Cause there's yep. not a lot of continuity. There's not a lot of combination in this team or you know, existing combinations. Um, yeah, and then near Cordy, as mentioned, if we're playing Valer on the left edge, and we've got Tamari there, he's a smaller guy as well, even though he's not going to shirk away from his defence. Having a new quarter there to babysit them is, sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I like I like him on the left. Um, I mean, he's played centre. You know, he's the kind of guy who can play centre in your quarter, so he's got an understanding of space and lines and and that sort of thing. So I think he'd be he'd be fantastic. Like Curran's more of a worker, and usually your your right back rower is more your worker back rower, and your left back rower is more your um, attacking back row, depending again on a lot of other things, but to me that's a, a great fit with Tohu at 13. Um, so then bench, uh, I've got Walker, Ale, Afoa, and when Jazz is available, I've got Jazz, um, but when Jazz is not available, I've got um, Ford at the moment is my four. Any difference at your end? Yeah, on the same um just unsure a bit of how I'd work the rotation at this stage with Dylan Walker. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because I think that's the single hardest thing in this team, right? And I reckon Webby, I'm pretty confident Webby has been waking up at 3 a.m. with different ideas rattling through his head how he's going to work that forward rotation. So, and and I've I've had like five different ideas and they all had problems and flaws. So. I'm going to talk you through where I'm at, okay, and then um, which I think uses seven interchanges, which is you know the right number because that's you can come up with all sorts of combinations and have guys swapping on and off, and then you realise it's ten interchanges. You know what I mean? So um, I'm going to tell you what I've got. You tell me what you think. Um, so I'll start with what the props are doing. So I've got AFB playing zero to thirty. Um, like this is minutes, so between from kickoff to the 30th minute. Then I've got him coming off and I've got him playing the last 20. So I've got 50 minutes out of him. 
you can tweak that, make it 55, whatever. But basically, that's what I'm doing. Traditional prop first stint, last stint. Yeah. I've got Bunty doing the rest of the minutes. So Bunty's doing 30 to 60, let's say, in in my model. So AFB and Bunty are basically a straight swap, big body, big prop, first carry. Um, then the other prop rotation, I've got Barnett doing 0 to 20. Um, I'm impressed with Ales Moda, so I'm actually going to try and give him 40 minutes in, in this team. Um, so I've got Barnett going 0 to 20, Ale going 20 to 60, with half time giving him a break in the middle. And then I've got Tohu doing the last 20, 60 to 80. I'm doing that because I want to bring Walker into the 13 at the back end, but I'll sort of get to that. So that's my prop rotation. My lock rotation is Tohu um, 0 to 40. And then I give him a break because we can't make this guy play 80 minutes for 25 rounds. And then um, uh, Walker, so, so sorry, Tohu 0 to 40. Um, Tohu 0 to 60, sorry, Walker 60 to 80. I think that works. I've got to circle back. Hooker, I've got Egan 0 to 40, Walker 40 to 60, and then Egan 60 to 80. So what that means is... I've got Walker doing 20 minutes at hooker. He's yep. my Mr. Fixer. He's given Egan a spell for 20, yep. and then he's given Tohu a spell for 20, right? And so Tohu ends up playing lock, having a spell coming on doing 20 minutes at prop while Walker's surging in behind on 13. Oh, yeah, I see. So um, and how does Barnett come back in again? Oh, yeah. So in the meantime, in my, on my edges, I don't reckon Curran can do 80. So Nikori's doing 80. So I don't reckon Curran can do 80. So yep. I've got um, Curran um, sitting out at 55, 60, and Barnett doing the last 20, 30 minutes on the edge, 25 minutes on the edge, on oh, Curran's edge. Yeah, because I, I, I can't see Curran being an 80-minute player. And so that leaves me with a luxury bench spot because yep. um, I've managed to do all my interchanges, get my middle done, give Curran a rest, give my hooker and my, um, my 13 a rest without needing that fourth benchy. So Ford or Jazz, whoever that happens to be, is a luxury where in-game injury, um, you know, the, someone's someone's more gas than I expect. I can, and I've got one more interchange up my sleeve to swap them out and go. So that's how I do it. So if I if I just play that back again, real quick, not to bore everyone too much, but AFB and Bunty basically share 80. The other prop spot is Barnett, Ale, Tohu. Um, the lock is Tohu and Walker. Where Walker gives Tohu a spell in the um, in the at, in the la- well swaps with Tohu in the last twenty and Tohu moves up and um, Hooker is Egan Walker Egan and Barnett gets back into the game on the right edge the work the worker edge so that's that's how I have framed it up um, it looks a lot better when I draw a diagram with pictures but that's not going to work <laughs> in, in, in podcast form so what do you reckon is it is it like, and one thing, one problem I have with this model, which we have to do because we don't have out-and-out props in the squad, right, is um, it's complex, and complex things break easy, right? They're fragile. And so, you know, you think about Barnett then has to get his head around how do I play right edge and how do I play middle, right? He's got to do two things. Tohu has to get his head around playing 13, that you know, and also playing straight up middle uh, prop. Um, Walker has to get his head around playing hooker as well as 13, and... I don't like that part of it, but I do like the way it lets me keep my best players on the field as much as I can um, and not use too many interchanges. That's that's what I like about that idea. 
Yeah, interesting, interesting. I think the I'd probably go a little more simple. Yep. Myself. I'd, yeah. Yeah. Only, I'd only lock in five changes myself. Okay. Yeah. Um, starting props come off. Starting props come back on. Um. And so Barnett, it's just Barnett swapping for Ale. Yeah, and, yep. yeah, and then yeah, can we make it obviously vice versa? Um, and Walker spelling Tohu at some point. Um, yeah, and then outside of that, it's just flexibility. To, just depending on how the game's going, um, who needs a spell? You know, does does Egan need a spell at this point in the game? Sometimes he might, sometimes he won't. Not ideal to play eighty these days, I don't think. Um, no, he's got to have moving away from that. Yeah, so, but you'd, you'd have the flexibility out there with Walker to spell him once Tohu comes back on. But um, I, I wouldn't lock anything in besides. The two prop rotations and, and the um, Walker coming on the spell tour who for a bit, and then yeah, everything else would just be game dependent. So do you reckon? Do you reckon Walker could do a job at hooker for twenty minutes? Or yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm looking at it going like, do I want to carry Lusik on the bench? And because like, I, I I rate it Wade Egan. I want Wade Egan out there as long as he's got the motor for it. You know so. Um, I think he should be doing a minimum of 60 minutes a game. So I don't want to carry Lusik for just 20 minutes of hooker. And I also and don't... And the changes if you want to get him back on as well. That's so, right. Yeah. And and I don't like taking my best hooker off for the last 20, you know, when yeah. when the game's on the line. So um, I struggle with that. Um, Jazz helps because he can do the split role. So when Jazz is there, you could do Walker just subbing tall. But again, like... Is it worth having Walker for 20 minutes? Because you want to talk about their 60 plus, right? So, yeah, yeah. is it worth having Walker for 20 minutes and and just injury cover? Like I I struggle with that. Whereas the way I was doing it, I can get 40 minutes of useful time out of Walker, um, all going well, without um without and and that frees up that spot for a luxury back row or a luxury middle or something. You know, that's that's the only reason I was I was trying to do it. But I do get it's a bit complicated and that creates yeah issues. The, the simplify it, is there room for Jazz to do the role that Mitch Kenny had, or a similar kind of role that Mitch Kenny had with the Panthers last year, you think, maybe, as far as, um, you know, bang out the first 20 and then Egan come on and just play out, so it's only one interchange. Look, It's still complicated in what you do with Jazz after that. Um, well, then, I mean, I suppose it, Jazz becomes your luxury player, doesn't yeah, he? Your, yeah. your luxury bench where, um, like, Walker could do that, but he doesn't have to because you've got a luxury bench spot and you're just working it through. So, yeah, I mean, but absolutely, Jazz could do that, or you could um, you could bring, I mean, depending on where Al is at, you know, Jazz Jazz could do 20 minutes, 15 minutes of prop, so you could you sort of have 20 minutes of hooker and 10, 15 of prop just to, you know, get some useful minutes out of him. I personally wouldn't do that, but, I mean, I think that's a problem with Jazz, right? It's hard to see how he gets minutes at 13 when you've got Walker and Tohu in the squad. And it's hard to see um, how you'd want him doing more than 20 at hooker when you know he can, can play 60-plus. So it's quite hard to fit Jazz in. Um, but I also feel like it would be wrong to not have him. Yeah, he's, he's the uh, what you were talking about before as far as him being the luxury um, and the change probably sounds like the best a uh, spot for him this year with with what we've got as far as um it, it's hard with there's so much flexibility with these guys this year they can all play multiple positions for the most part but um 
yeah, some simplifying it would be better. Would be I'd be looking to, yeah. So do you, do you reckon it's asking too much of players like Barnett to say do a stint on the, in the middle and a stint on the edge? Like, do you think that's just I asking? Think, I don't think he'd think so. I think yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd just do it. Um, yeah. 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 He doesn't strike me as the type of player that would struggle to make that adjustment during a game. He's experienced, right? Like, I wouldn't ask a 20-year-old to do it, but someone who's done 10 years plus, you know, like, I'd, I'd feel more comfortable asking him to do it. Or Toho, you could ask Toho to do anything. Uh, Toho, go play centre for a bit. He'd probably yeah. be the best centre on the field, right? So, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. But, yeah. Yeah, okay, so that's that's where I get to on the 17. Mate, any other thoughts you want to chuck in the mix? Yeah, just all that. I, I generally prefer them working in as far as, like, starting on an edge and moving in. Yeah. At the end of the yes. game, rather than the other way, because you know you've played sixty minutes on oh, the okay. field, and then you got to chase a halfback. You know you're in that four spot. You, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dealing with quick little halfbacks, it's probably pretty tough, I'd say. But um, yeah, if anyone could do it, he, I'm sure he's capable, more than capable of doing it. But yeah, if you've had, generally if you've, the other way. If you've had half an hour off in the middle, does that do you reckon? Like, I've never played anything like high-performance footy, you know, so I don't know what it's like at that level. Like, do you think um, – do you think it – Oh, sorry. Yeah, if he's had a spell, then, yeah, no, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, awesome. Any other – I mean, the players we haven't picked or we've left out, um, I'm just having a flick through. Um, actually, no, we've talked about every single squad member, man. That's that's pretty good. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's 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 wrap it up a little bit by talking about we've picked our best seventeen. We've talked about game model. How are we going to go here, Teets? I mean, I look at it and go, we're a prop short and a centre short. We're two prop short, maybe, and a centre short. So um, we're definitely not a good team, like a top team. Um, but if if this team plays to its potential, it's it's not a terrible team at all. So how do you see them? Yeah, I think, well, results-wise, I don't think we're going to improve drastically. I think we'll win a couple more games than we did last year. I, yep. think, yeah, I think we'll snag a few more results, but I don't think we're going to, um, as far as ladder position, we're going to you know, drastically improve. Um, but all, all I want to see from the, is a massive improvement in the defensive resilience and the so that we've got a base to work for. Look, well, I had this conversation with you last year. Yeah, I basically threw it all out and just said, let's just put an attacking team out there and just look good because there was no chance of the team doing any good. But we've got a new coach, you know, yep. we've got the arrow pointing the right way now, and it needs to start with the defensive foundation. So for me, I just want to, the biggest thing I want to see is our our middle forwards locking down as many of these other forward packs as they can, um, and you know, owning those first three tackles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on both sides of the ball, on both sides of the ball, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But um, I, yeah, as we were talking about before, I think that's what Barnett to prop can really help us as far as on the defensive side of things. He's more mobile than um, Lodge was. Yeah. Um, you know, his drinks are way different to Lodge's drinks, but I think that they can really help this team and and give us something to build off as far as um moving forward, hopefully into a better position of actually challenging for, for a title in two, you know, two, three years. How long is he here for? Is it a three-year contract, is it? I think I, I need a check. It was a, I mean, he's here next year 
for sure. It might have been three years, I think. Yeah, it was. He's uh, only he's still about twenty eight, is he? About yeah. No, we've got his best years. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got some good years. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome, man. Well, been great. What about you? Where, where do you see us? Yeah. Look, I was having to avoid that question. You've been the other, mate. I, I, I've said before. I say it's twelfth to fifteenth. Yeah. Right. When we're not in the spoon conversation, I don't think. Um, but I just don't think that. With the roster turnover, we've had new coach, um, obvious gaps in the roster around prop and centre. Well, when I say gaps, like weaknesses, um, it's it's not a team that you can hand on heart say should do better than about 12th, in my opinion. Um, but I think if we finish sort of at that 12 to 15 level and we've laid the base, then, you know, next year we could accelerate pretty quickly into six to eight. You know, like I think that that jump's actually going to be easier because we'll have had a year of Webby system, a year of these players um, building combinations, and we won't have the same level of turnover next year, I don't think. So there'll be more cohesion into it. So that that's where I'm at. I mean, as we all know, um, injury and luck play a big part in this. You, you know, like if, if, if AFB goes down, Right, seriously, we like you don't you don't want to think about it, do you? Um, and you know, I, I would I would say uh, there's probably a few positions we have where you know, if Tohu goes down, what are we going to do? We're going to play Walker at 13, like for 80 minutes? No, how are we going to do that? Um, who, who's the other, you know, defensively unbelievable ball playing 13 in the squad? There's not one, I don't think. Um, plenty of players that can do a, a certain job at 13, but so yeah, I think we're we're fairly dependent on a couple of players staying fit, staying out there. Like Wade Egan goes down, Lussick's in. Um, I, I I personally don't mind Lussick as a first drop hooker, but you know, like um, is Lussick going to play 80 minutes for 15 rounds if Wade does an ACL in round 10? No, you know what I mean. Like yeah, yeah. so, there's there's quite a bit of um, luck and, and injury dependency on it in this squad in particular. Um, and, yeah, I, I just I, – I'm not interested this year in worrying about ladder positions and wins, right? What I want to see is what I haven't seen for the last two years, which is a coherent game plan, um, you know, the right attitude, um, the right um, structure and building that base we can go from. That, that's all I want to see this year. And – if we jag it into eighth, it'll be a minor miracle and I'll be ecstatic. Um, but I'll, I'll almost be just as happy if we end up 12th and we get to the end and say, man, they played tough this year and the the game model looked pretty good and Metcalf's turned into a baller and I'm excited about seeing him go around next year as SJ drops off, say. You know, I'm looking forward to Metcalf and Temare, for example. Um, we, we sign a good prop. Uh, a couple of these young fellas coming through in the back row um, offer us some new options. There's a couple, there's the new Ali Lawatiti coming through that we look at and say, hey man, we got to, you know, oh, that, that's that's what I want this year. That's that's how I'm looking at this year. So yeah, yeah nice. Yeah, I'm along the same lines. Like there's as far as expectations go, it's all I want to see is just the arrow pointing up for the first time and um, what feels like forever, but since 2018 at least. Um, yeah. There's a few just came before we finish. I just want to quickly touch on just one thing. Yeah, yeah. We've, um, yeah, we all bagged the owner. Or a lot of us have bagged the owner. Well, I do want to give him credit for the pathway stuff. I think 
hopefully you and I can have a chat about this in, in the future as far as pathways and development goes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just give them a, a bit of credit for a couple of things. We don't have the, uh, you know, my, from my limited understanding of the business side of things, we don't have the same kind of revenue streams that some of the Aussie clubs do as far as, you know, poker money and all this stuff. So I'd imagine a lot of this is coming out of his own pocket, but like, setting up a house for the kids from outside of Auckland to come and stay in um, and, you know, spending the money on the Sesti ball team. They're bringing the flag team back. So they're putting things in place that'll, you know, eventually net us a couple of players every year as far as um, talent goes. Um, they've set up the SJ and, and Dean Bell Cup competitions, yep. which gives our best talent, you know, high-level competition between between them, so a lot of times, the problem with our rep competitions in New Zealand is that they're so lopsided. Yeah. Um, with the way that these competitions are set up, they get, you know, a higher quality of game because they're playing, you know, our best catchment area of Auckland. They're all playing with amongst each other rather yeah. than, you know, smashing regional teams by 50 points. So um, some of the things that he's done on on well that the club has done on, on that side of things is. I think deserves a little bit of credit. Um, and I'm usually the first one to slag them off as far as pathways <laughs> go. So I'll, I'll give them a tick for that. Yeah, so just I, I agree with you. Uh, it's encouraging to see SG ball back. I actually went and checked them out live um, down at Redfern the other week and I was pleasantly surprised with what I saw uh, for a team that's been thrown together and come in, flown to Australia for the first time, playing um, – uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Great to see that back, cup team back, and based on what we saw on the weekend, they're not going to be the worst cup team in the comp. Um, yeah, I was worried about that actually. As yeah, well. like you know, yeah. pretty much a scratch team together for, for the cups um, sort of thing. So it looks like we'll have a pretty competitive team as far as yeah. I agree. Um, beat the Tigers, I reckon. That's that's pretty safe. <laughs> and um, and. And but the the flag part, so that's not confirmed. So not confirmed. To, yeah, and see, like, um, SG Ball's reasonably cheap to yeah. um, fund because it's only a 12 or short, short, short comp, yeah. Um, so my big KPI for the owner in terms of pathways is, um, so those those ball guys need somewhere to go. So I understand why you wouldn't have flag now. You'd have ball. But next year we need flag, right? So those ball guys have the next step to go, the guys who have come through and we can find more. So... I want to see the owner commit to flag this year and then we'll have the genuine ball flag cup pathway. Yeah. 100%. And because we'll, we'll um, again, I hope we touch on this at another time, but um, you're yeah. already seeing a little bit after that first game from the fan base, oh, this guy put this guy into, you know, it, no, they need to go through the process. All our guys, one, yeah. I normally hate our junior stereotypes, but one that I absolutely agree with is that we don't have the same quality of competition here. So, our guys will take a bit longer to develop, so they need to go through every step. So, you know, ball up to flag, not ball to cup. You know, yep. you can't skip steps with these guys. So it's they need as much reps as they can before, you know, and first impressions are so important. Like we've seen it with Taniela Watakolo and Rocco Berry and stuff, where it's hurt their careers because of, they came up too early. We need our guys to, you know, when they do arrive, have the best chance of putting their best, their best foot forward. Yeah, and flag's expensive because it's a long season, it's a full season, and it's a full squad. So um, I'm not trivialising it. I, I like the the owner, um, you know, as, as you said, has already put his hand in his pocket, no doubt. But if he's fair income about it, he's got to put a flag team in from next year. There's like one in one in ten guys can skip flag. 
you know, the other nine out of ten have to go through Fleg and might have to go up and down from Fleg to Cup and then might have to go up and down from Cup to first grade. You know, like that's how it goes. So they, they have to do that. And so, I'll, yeah, but I'd love to talk to you about um, pathways. I'm hoping to talk to um, someone from the club about that um, down the line. And um, Will um, is obviously involved in the Canterbury Rugby League. So actually maybe you mean Will can have a yarn about pathways um, where he chucks in a bit of his two cents from the South Island as well and we, we sort of work through it. But, yeah, I think that that's that's the key missing piece at the minute. It's how do I get a flag team in there? Um, and there's probably another piece, which is once ball's done, where do the 16-year-olds go? Are they playing Fox? Like where do they go? You know, I, I'm not sure whether Fox is the right thing or whether there's some other comp. So, yeah, but look, it's a chat for another day because I, I could talk for hours on it. And I'd love to talk um, Pathways with you um, and another pod. I think it needs its own pod. And I'm interested in hearing a bit more from the club about what the plans are before we do that. But uh, it's important and I fully agree with you. It's, it's you know, there's a lot of fool's gold sometimes with um, the way we look at up-and-coming Warriors players and um, the way we look at signings. But one thing that's rock solid is if you get that development pathways right, you can churn out, you know, one and a half, two first graders a year. And if you do that, you've got a, a steady, stable squad um, forever. And, and that's, I think, where we need to get to. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I've like harped on about this for years. Is that the only way that we'll ever win the competition is if we've got a core of, you know, homegrown talent. It's generally cheaper, generally more likely to stay at your club. It's easier to get them than trying to buy superstars. You need your recruits. Like you're never going to win without the recruits. But generally, you know, Premiership winning teams have a stack of one club players, you know, which is the players that you've brought through. Yeah. Um, and I've been encouraging to hear. Uh, Cameron George and, and I think we've even mentioned as well that that's our pathway to success eventually is is down that way. Well, we've done everything else and it hasn't worked, so it's time to do that, I think, and I, I hope um, the owner understands that, and I think that he does. I think that he does. So, um, But, yeah, a chat for another time, mate. But, hey, it's been awesome talking to you and uh, kicking the team around, and let's, let's see what they can do on the weekend, eh? Yeah, always good to talk to you, Fonz. Um, uh, awesome chatting with you, mate. And as I said, you know, no expectations for this year. I just all I want to do is just see the arrow pointing up. That's that's all I'm hopeful for. All, all I need to be a happy Warriors fan. That's a good way to be, mate. And uh, everyone out there, thanks for listening. And until next time, go the Warriors.